Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. Ads for companies often tell us joy comes when we consume their product. We are also tempted to think that joy comes from within ourselves. But in this third week of Advent, we will find that joy comes from God alone as we turn to Him in everything. Today, as we continue our series, Come Peasant King, and as you can tell, today is all about joy. Joy seems to be something that we, we struggle with a lot in our lives, mainly because a lot of times I think we're more influenced by commercials than we expect. How many of you love some of the commercials that are out there? Have you ever noticed that car insurance commercials are the weirdest yet funniest? You know why? Because nobody wants to talk about car insurance. No. You have to entertain people to get people to talk about car insurance, right? Or there is this one commercial that I've seen for a uh, computer company. It has nothing to do with their products at all. In fact, none of their products are in the commercial. You've probably seen it. It's this girl builds this snowman, and her brother kicks the snowman, and She's so upset and things like that, she takes the head of the snowman and puts it in her freezer for the entire winter, right? And waiting, waiting, waiting for the snow to fall. And then she brings the, the head of the snowman and rebuilds it and things. And then right as soon as she's enjoying the presence of her snowman, some random person comes by and hits it with a bike. It's, it's heartbreaking. But just wait. The brother who originally destroyed the snowman comes and helps her rebuild the snowman as the holidays are put right in front of us, right? So this commercial, right, you don't see a phone, you don't see a tablet, you don't see a computer at all. You're like, how in the world are they going to get people to, to buy their products whenever it's this? Well, the reason is, of course, they're playing on your sentimentality and nostalgia and saying, well, look, this company actually does get it, and I could trust this company to buy a phone or buy a mobile device. Or, let's talk about the car commercials this time of year. This is ridiculous, y'all. First of all, getting a bow as big as it is to put on a, is this just ridiculous? But let's really talk about this for a second. If you're buying your spouse a car for Christmas, either A, you have a lot of money, good for you. But more likely, for, for those of us who are normal folks, right, um, you should probably talk to your spouse before buying them a car. It's sort of a big purchase, you know? So either A, you messed up, <laughs> or B, I don't know. So either case, like this, but the pressure there is, oh yeah, yeah, people give give their spouses cars for Christmas all the time. And you and I have this feeling, oh, maybe this holiday season I will purchase this thing and it will bring fulfillment and joy either to that person or maybe even to ourselves, right? So much of the how to receive joy in our culture is around, as, as the reading said, around consumption, around our circumstances, around really us, a self-centered moment of satisfaction will bring us joy. 
But it's no wonder that we struggle with joy because as we get these things, as you get the phone, you come to the realization that, oh goodness, I don't really feel a lot of joy on this thing. In fact, as I search the the nooks and crannies of the internet to find meaning, to find fulfillment, we feel more empty. I think I've read that our culture feels more isolated than ever, even though we are the most connected we've ever been. Or, for example, if you have a car, it doesn't have to be a luxury brand car, but I want you to think about this for a second. Why do we, when we get into our cars with all the things that it has, even just heat right now is just nice, right? But like, think of all the, you know, the entertainment stuff, the screens, all the things that they put. And what do we do when the person in front of us at the green light doesn't go as soon as the green light goes? Honk! Like, you are literally in the most luxurious car cabin ever in, this, in the structure of, why can't we just enjoy life and be it? It's because, quite frankly, we recognize that joy doesn't come in these things. Joy doesn't come by this self-fulfillment, by these goals, by all of these things. They often leave us more empty than we expect. And so today, we are going to visit the same passage that we visited last week when we talked about peace. A few more verses of that same passage. But to bring you up to speed, we're going to be searching for joy from the words of John the Baptist. John came before Jesus. Last week we talked a little bit about this voice crying in the wilderness, making paths straight for God to do something, for the Messiah to come. And we recognize that John's words were very challenging. But the thing that we discovered is that peace comes to us when we repent. And repent means turning to God and accepting Him completely. Confessing who we are, confessing what we've done wrong, and turning to God and His ways and His life. That is the start of bringing about peace into our own lives and into the world around us. It's in this same position that we are going to find joy starts in the same place as peace. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, please open them to Luke chapter 3. And we're going to actually start with verse 7 today. And this, I have a joke that's going to come right after this because some pastors really love this passage. Uh, I think some pastors get joy from reading it. You ready for this? Okay. Luke chapter 3, verse 7. Then John said to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, you children of snakes. You see why some pastors get joy from this? Maybe your passage says you brood of vipers. Pretty, uh, pretty combative words, right? <laughs> but let's, let's continue. You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. How many of you feeling joyful right now? 
the crowds asked him, what then should we do? He answered, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none, and whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers asked, what about us? What should we do? He answered, don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. The people were filled with expectation, and everyone wondered whether John might be the Christ, the Messiah. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husk is in his hands, and he will clean out the threshing area and bring wheat into his barn. But he will burn the husks with a fire that cannot be put out. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. We might be surprised that the people hung around after you children of snakes. (laughs) We've said far less offensive things probably in our lives than somebody just got mad and left, right? How many of us, yeah, exactly, you've experienced that. Or maybe you have gotten so offended at somebody, and it wasn't really that big of a deal, right? You children of snakes. Why would they stay? Why would they stay in that moment? And I think it's because, quite frankly, they were hungry for something greater than what they were experiencing in life. They had a hunger for something. And they were hopeful that this guy, John, had some answers. Because the group of people who gathered here was diverse. You have people who have their religious identity as Jews. Well, Jews in this day were occupied by Rome, and even though they were given some leeway in how they worshipped and how they lived, they still were under the thumb of an oppressive government. So it makes sense why they're looking for something greater, because life ain't great, good for them. But here's the deal, there's also tax collectors and Roman soldiers here who are a part of that oppressing entity. Why in the world would they be there? They have everything. They have the money. They have the influence. They can do sort of what they would like. Why would they be there? Why are they hungering? It's because, quite frankly, they recognize that a joyful life does not come in the ways that this world is ordered, in the ways that this world works. Those who are powerful, those who are rich, those who are of influence don't have a joy. They're looking for something greater. Because, quite frankly, the reality of everything was this. There was always a civic leader that was higher than you that at some point would put their needs before yours. There's civic leaders that would fill their pockets or 
feel satisfied or crave more power at the cost of people. And in the same way, religious leaders of that day did not seem to help because they seemed to bring more burdens onto people, saying it really is basically us doing A, B, C, or D, and then God will be happy and give us all that we need. And that wasn't it either. See, what we're beginning to understand is that joy and a life that is good, a life that is what God intended, isn't based in you and I attaining, working, doing, whatever you want to put in there. So they are desperate. They are desperate for a different life. And so many of us are desperate for a different life. And what we continue to hear is we turn into ourselves and look to ourselves for that. But it's not there. It's not there. So where does it start? As John so eloquently puts, repent. Turn from yourself to God. And then what does he do? He explicitly shares with individual circumstances what that might mean. It's repent and fill in the blank. Repent and fill in the blank. So to the tax collector, hey, turn to God and stop cheating people. Stop taking more money than what you are entitled to. Stop making money off of others. Yeah, but like, I, I like the money. No, no, no. Stop cheating other people. For the Roman soldier, repent and stop harassing people. Stop using your position to bully people. Stop using your position to fill your lines of pockets or to feel more powerful or to feel better than other people. And to his own brothers and sisters who are Jews, who would think, ha-ha, yeah, tell those oppressors, he says, don't stand on your inheritance as being children of Abraham. Your life reflects whether you are living a life of repentance. A life of repentance bears fruit that is different than how the world works. Our actions change when we turn to God. And that's so different because what you and I are so used to is if the world would just do, everything would be fixed. But he turns it in to an individual. There's some really great insight from a commentary that I have a slide for. I want you to read this along with me, okay? John does not call for the crowds to withdraw from society or to seek a military solution. He addresses individual needs rather than societal problems. And the answer begins with the individual. See, what we often think about is, well... We always look to everybody else, but really that repentance starts here with us. It's because you and I are so connected to everyone else in the world. There are a lot of people in this world that say, hey, you need to have everything in your own order, like you're not connected to your neighbor. But what you do affects your neighbor, whether you like it or not. So, for you and I in 2021, 
I don't know of any of you as tax collectors. Some of you do taxes. God bless you. <laughs> that job. <laughs> None of us are active soldiers. Our repent and fill in the blank is what we struggle with individually. Repent and fill in the blank. What is in your blank space there, y'all? Is it repent and stop, stop holding a grudge against a family member and slandering them whenever you talk about them? Is it repent and stop lying about yourself to look better in front of other people? You put on a face for others. Repent and stop being an adulterer and going to that website in the dark recesses of the evening to find connection. Repent and stop desiring what your neighbor has. Well, they have all this. I want it too. Repent and stop fearing your neighbor. How many of us don't like somebody who is different than us because we just actually just fear them, what they believe or what they do? Repent and stop judging those who are without a home. Stop calling them lazy. Stop putting yourself here and them here. Repent. Repent and fill in the blank. For this crowd that is hearing this, this is different. This is different because it's not about becoming more religious and doing the right worship and things like that. And it's not about giving more money or overthrowing the government or yada, yada, yada. It's different than all the different, all the different ways of living at this time. And so they start thinking, hey, maybe this John guy is this Messiah, this Christ that we've been waiting for. <gasps> hey, John, are you the dude? And John says, no, I am not the dude. That's my translation. And what Luke tries to share with us outside of this historical account is that John is that one who is making paths straight for the one to come after him. And John doesn't claim that scripture on himself. He just simply says, no, it's not me. There's a person coming after me that I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. Jesus would come and live and bring healing and bring miracles. He would die on a cross and then he would raise again from a grave to show that sin and death is defeated, that salvation has come, that God has indeed saved the world. But it hadn't happened yet. And yet, John is still saying, repent. And I think that speaks to us that live in this day between Jesus and when Jesus will return again. I sometimes hear people who, are, who believe in Christ that say things like, well, whenever Jesus comes back, everything's going to be great. Peace? Oh yeah. Joy? It's almost like this, eh, I just got to wait around. 
I got to wait around for Jesus to come back so that we can experience this. But no, John saying this to the people before Jesus even starts his ministry tells us in our days that peace and joy and hope and love is available here and now. You don't have to wait for Jesus to come to do anything. It can happen right now, and it starts with our own repentance. Turning to God and accepting His ways of life. That's why this passage ends with many other words John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. Is it good news if you've got to wait around until Jesus decides to come back? I mean, I guess sort of. But this is good news for right here and right now. Peace and joy and hope and love is available right now to experience in Christ. And it's by living in the way that he teaches in the way that he lived himself. Listen to this. Listen to this. It will be on the screen in front of you. Christ brings a new order of things and shows us how to be generous, compassionate, and content. And shows us how to give up our greed and act justly toward others. This is joyous news. This is good news, friends. That you and I can have a joyful life because we are content with what God has given and we live generous and compassionate lives as Jesus lived a generous and compassionate life. And the coolest thing is is that you do not have to be the best religious person, the goody two-shoes of the world. This is available to all. Anybody can live this life. The fact of the matter is, is that it wasn't just Jews who were there, but there was also Roman soldiers and tax collectors. And then John said some crazy words that I'm not going to go fully into, but here's the deal. He starts talking about stones, that he would raise his children from stones. that the Messiah would separate the chaff from the wheat. What he is getting at here is that God is going to work in anything and anyone. It's not just going to be found in the influential or the religious or the rich or the people who have it all together. God works in Everybody who's willing to turn to him. He works in tax collectors and Roman soldiers' lives. He works in Jewish lives. In our own, he works in heroin dealers and heroin addicts' lives. He works in those who are atheists and pagans. He works in that family member that you really don't like very much. He can work in the lives of fascists and communists and socialists and capitalists. He can work in the lives of those who do not have a home and those who have the richest mansion. He can work in anything 
Salvation is here, and this is good news. But to receive it means to turn and repent to Him. Now you might think to yourself, this doesn't seem like joyful news to me, because quite frankly, I want what I want. (laughs) We are so conditioned, everybody, to believe that joy comes through self-satisfaction. We are. We are enslaved to an economy that lives on consumption. Buy this. Help the economy. Oh, you'll help your brother out if you buy more. No. We are enslaved to the different kinds of possessions and goals and aspirations because it's all built on ourselves. That is not where joy is. You might feel happiness, but it is fleeting. It will not last. The only way to receive joy is to turn to God and find everything in Him. To be content with everything that He gives and to recognize that He is the one who has saved you and saves everyone. We can't forget as we individually turn to Him that the good news is for all people. And so that doesn't mean you receive the good news and you get everything that you always wanted. No, in fact, it's the exact opposite. You begin to give of yourself of what you have and then joy comes into your life through Christ. I have said this a number of times and I think it needs to be said again. Jesus is the good news for this world, right? Okay? It's on the screen, right here and right now. Good news, friends. The next one. Good news is not good news if it's... Good news is only good news if it's for all people, not just you, me, or a select group of people. Good news is only good news if it is for all, not just you, me, or a select group of people. And what I hear all the time is pastors saying, well, if we just did this, or if we would do this, we're no, we're no better than the religious leaders of Jesus' day. We're no better than that if we'd say that. If this equation... No, you know what it comes? It comes by giving of yourself and sacrifice to others. And that is when you will experience that joy of the good news that Jesus died for you and me and that person on the street and that person in that mansion. The only way is to universally give of ourselves with love and compassion and generosity and service to others. So what is joy? How do you receive it? Let's tie it up in a bow. Joy is not merely a feeling brought about by circumstances. It is a deep and abiding state brought on by our connection with Christ. And it's not passive but is fostered through the ways that our lives are transformed to look like Jesus. It starts with repent. And the process is you become more like the one who has saved you. The one who brought healing to people's lives. The, people who, the one who, brought, who, who fed others. The one who did not judge others whenever he had every right to do so. The one who did not bring about a political revolution, but rather 
brought about a revolution that was humble and merciful and loving and peaceful. You and I will look like Jesus. And that will bring us the greatest joy. As I prepared for this week, I was trying to think of something that I have experienced where I could just put my finger on it and say, that is joyful. Some of us love Christmas music and it brings you immense amount of joy. Me? There's a lot of Christmas songs that are like fingernails on a chalkboard. You know why? Because some of the Christmas songs that we listen to are actually all about consumption. It really is. If you begin to, like, if you have an ear for it, uh, what is, what's the one song? Um, no Place Like Home for the Holidays. Are we sure AAA didn't write that song? Like, seriously. Oh, there's no traffic at all. Where, what world do you live in? I have road rage right now because nobody's going in front of me right now. And this song is playing on the radio. So it wasn't found in Christmas music. I was called back to a genre of song that comes from the least expected place. It's the African-American spiritual. We have a clip. This is a, a, a teen choir group from, from Canada, actually, who is singing the song, Right On, King Jesus. Have a listen to this. And tell me how joyful you feel when you hear this. That song was written, that, was, that song was sung by African Americans who were enslaved. How does joy come in that circumstance? In the lyrics, ride on King Jesus, no man can hinder me. Right here and there they say, this is who the king of the world is and it's Jesus Christ. And you know that white slave master cannot hinder me. Cannot hinder my faith in Christ to live in a way that is different. So many of the African American spirituals that emerged from the sins of many from the brutal institution of slavery actually have influenced our music to this day. 
In these spirituals, you will find a yearning for a better life, an identification with the children of Israel who were enslaved themselves. You will find that within these songs, they actually name the injustice and the deceit of the slaveholders. Not too, not too loudly, but loud enough. Love and grace and mercy and judgment and eternal life are the themes that unfolded in each of these songs, friends. But I think the one thing that they do is that they bring joy. You can talk about all the different things, but goodness gracious, you can feel that joy. It's like electric right as soon as they begin that first note. See, these African-American slaves understood that God's promises were bigger than the people who held them as property, was bigger than the government that oversaw those folks, was bigger than their circumstances getting better. Because they could not change their lives. If they were to ask for just the smallest of things, they could be beaten or even killed. And it was among these African Americans in history that churches, that the church grew. And it wasn't in a sanctuary, it was in the woods. It was on the it was in the fields of whenever they could sing together and cry out to God, knowing that He was the only source of joy in this world. They laid their burdens down and found strength in Christ, who is the ultimate liberator. So I pray today that we will learn something from those who wrote these songs. Joy does not come to us when we get what we want. Joy does not come in better circumstances. Joy doesn't even come in the future and being only positive or hopeful about the future. It comes to us right here and right now, right where we are in Christ our Lord. And it comes by denying ourselves and giving ourselves to how Jesus lived himself. Friends, may we turn to God and whatever fills our blank, may we give it to him. And may, we, may he fill us with his presence, enabling us to live like him, to bring joy to others by being generous, compassionate, sacrificial people. This is where joy enters into our world. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you are inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.